Hi everybody, we're reading the parasha of Vayetze, and this is with love to my children, grandchildren, siblings, of course, to my Asian Chayil, and to any friends who care to listen. Just wanted to, first of all, talk about uh, Thanksgiving, and then I'm going to get into the parasha. Um, this is the weekend of Thanksgiving, and for Jews, Thanksgiving isn't just an attitude or a, an action, but it's actually a fundamental source of our being. So being grateful, I think, is a core of what we do. And in fact, it's manifest in how we live our lives. In the morning, the first thing we say is, Mode ani lefanecha. We uh, thank God. All the brachot are really about being gratitude, what I call the attitude of gratitude, which is no platitude. And it continues throughout the day with, uh, with, with gratitude. And uh, the final point I want to make on it is that on the Chazarat Hashats, you know, as we have the Shemona Israel, it is repeated by the Chazim. The first one is called, according to Rabbi Soloveitchik, Tefillah Batsibur, you know, it's each individual prays within the community. And then we have Tefillah Hatsibur, which is the prayer of the community, which is really what the Chazan does when he repeats the Shemona Esrei. And the Shemona Esrei repeated by the Chazan is exactly the same as the one that's said individually, with one exception. When it comes to Modem, the Chazan does not repeat, uh, does not pray on behalf of the community. In fact, the community again says, a different modim, modim de Rabbanan, while the chazan uh, says thank you, because we can pray for other people's well-being and health and so on, but we cannot thank God for anybody else's as obligation to thank. Only people themselves can thank God, and so that's what we do. So, um, you know, modim is, is critical to be in a place of constant gratitude is the definition of a Jew. And uh, my prayer is that Thanksgiving should be with us all day, and every day. And those of you who remember the amazing Thanksgivings we had with late Granny Doreen, my mother of blessed memory, will know how seriously she took Thanksgiving and came with poems and recitations and uh, small articles that we shared. This is the parasha in which Yaakov's life comes fully into view. And uh, the uh, beginning of the parasha sets the tone. And it says, Yaakov uh, Jacob left Be'er Sheva uh, and went to Haran. Why did he leave Be'er Sheva? Because he was running away from his brother Esav. In fact, unlike Abraham, who was moving towards a place, Lech Lechayel Aritzapa, was going towards the uh, chosen land. Uh, Yaakov was running away from, running from his brother and then running away from Lavan. And the obvious question that's been dealt with many times is, if you know someone is in Beersheba and they're leaving, why do you have to say both that he left Beersheba, went to Haran? It would have been enough to say that he simply went to Haran. And from this, the rabbis tell us that we learn that when a tzaddik leaves a city, uh, he diminishes its aura, its glory, its splendor. And uh, that was what was said about Yaakov. What's interesting is, of all the Shalosh Avot, certainly Yaakov wasn't the most um, outgoing, influential, powerful person who would be missed so much. And yet he was the only one of whom this is said. And there are many interesting ideas as to why that is the case. We learned, first of all, when Yaakov left, uh, we learned that he was the man who was studying, doing the, he was one of the unsung heroes and unsung leaders of the Jewish community. And so for someone to be missed and for their absence to be felt by the community doesn't mean they have to be in the limelight. Often the people who carry the load and then go are the ones that are most sadly missed. He's not only leaving the place, but he's also leaving the culture. 
because as he goes out of Israel, which he's now about to do, he's going to Haran, which is a, a den of iniquity and evil. And so uh, that, that needs to be taken into account when he does this uh, transition and moves towards Haran. Very soon thereafter, he arrives at Hamakom. He arrived by Yivka, Bamakom. He arrives at the place. And we really know that the hyperlink for Makom is God and also the Har Moria, all the, the uh, center of all spirituality is used by this word Hamakom. We also use it when we comfort mourners, Hamakom Yenachem. But Aviyah Hamakom either means the place, which is the place where his, where his grandfather had uh, almost sacrificed his father, and, uh, and he lies down to sleep, and there he invents or brings down the prayer of Ma'ariv. That's the nighttime prayer because the sun sets and he goes to sleep. And he takes rocks from around the place that he's sleeping in. And we don't know whether there are two rocks symbolizing the two tablets or 12 rocks representing the 12 sons that he will be siring over the next years with the four women in his life. But either of those would work quite well to indicate that when he wakes up in the morning, those rocks are united. They become a single rock. And so what we see is either that the two tablets are equal, equal in power and importance, or that we've seen the unification of his 12 sons, the first completely normal, healthy, dedicated, united family that is going to be the beginning of the beginning of the nation of Israel. At that time, he has the very famous dream of the ladder with its uh, feet of the ladder on the ground, the top of the ladder heavenwards. God is standing over it, supervising as angels are going up and down. And we learn many ways to view this. One is that the angels that are going up are the Israel-related angels that go up because they fulfilled their job. And the Chutzla Aretz, the angels that are going to accompany him as he travels out of Israel, come down uh, to be with him as he leaves the borders of Israel and enters into the Haran area. By the way, this is very similar to what we do on Shabbat. When we say, when we say Shalom Aleichem, we welcome in the angels, Boachim L'Shalom Aleichem Sharet, and the very next sentence, uh, we kick them out, Seidchim L'Shalom. So uh, the question is asked uh, in that, uh, you know, do we really welcome angels in, and as soon as they've arrived, we tell them to leave? And the beautiful explanation is just like this, that angels have a particular role. What we're doing when we do Boachim L'Shalom is we're welcoming the Shabbosdika angels, and we're saying farewell to the Vochedika angels, the angels that came during the week. And we see that same idea over here. The other way to look at the, at the ladder is that each of us is actually a ladder, with our feet hopefully firmly planted on the ground, linked to reality and the, and the current world, and our head aspiring to, uh, to the sacred, aspiring to the holy. And the angels are coming up and down to assist in, in everything we do, the blessings in our lives are the angels that are constantly uh, bringing us goodies and taking care of us, overseeing us. I think it's a beautiful image to think of every Jew uh, as the ladder and God uh, watching over us. After he wakes up, he takes the stone and he consecrates a uh, Mizbeach, an altar over there, and he pours oil over it. Um, this is contrasted with when he comes back into Israel. He again consecrates uh, a, a Mizbeach, an altar, but this time, he doesn't only anoint it with oil, but he also pours wine on it. And the wine is deeply symbolic of joy because when he leaves Israel, 
It's not an abundantly joyous experience, but when he returns to Israel, the joy is expressed by the pouring of wine as well onto the Mizbeach that he has just created. In keeping with the Zionist theme of this week's parsha, um, it's worth noting that this parsha is uniquely a parsha stuma. It's a sealed parsha. From the beginning of the parsha to the end of the parsha, there are no breaks, new paragraphs, or gaps of any kind. It is one continuous lineage of, of words. And um, the rabbis tell us that that is because when he was out of Israel, the linkage from when he left Israel until when he came back was one continuous line of words and thoughts and dreams, and there was no gap. In other words, while he was out of Israel, he never stopped having it foremost in his mind. And so the parsha itself physically looks different. One looks at the Sefer Torah. He gets to Haran, sees Rachel, falls in love, uh, asks her father, Lavan, if he can marry her. And he says, if you work for me for seven years, you can. And then he was deceived by Lavan. Uh, and with, uh, actually the uh, bride he was delivered was Leah. And in exchange for an additional seven years, he was promised and did get Rachel as well. And so began the tribal offspring, uh, which became the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. There are many echoes and contrasts with previous parashiot. First of all, the one who was the arch tricker, Yaakov, who tricked his brother with the birthright, tricked his father with the animal skins to get the blessing and so on, ultimately had the trick played on him, the deceit played on him when he was given the wrong bride. Um, when he met Rachel, previously the female uh, Rivka had actually watered the animals and taken the initiative. Over here, he removed the covering of the well and made it possible for Rachel to get water for her animals. So we see this, uh, this uh, contrast and, and, and similarity almost poetically reflecting in that aspect of the parsha. I want to end with something that uh, is quite profound and uh, quite authentically at the root of, uh, of all Jewish thought and behavior. And that is that when Yehuda was born, the fourth son born to Jacob and, the, and, and his first wife, uh, Leah, um, Leah says uh, she's going to name him Yehuda because now she needs to be grateful. The question is, why did she need to be grateful then? And uh, it's, it's thought that she knew there were going to be 12. And she had, when she had three, she figured she'd got one quarter because there were four birthing women. When she got the fourth, she knew she had got more than she was entitled to, named in Yehuda. Um, but we learn from the naming of Yehuda, very powerful thing. We know that Leah was considered to be the first woman, the first person in the Bible who actually expressed gratitude. That's what the rabbis tell us. Now, how could it be that all the Avot and the Imahot previously never expressed gratitude? And the rabbis tell us that the way she expressed gratitude was different from everybody else. Anybody can say thank you when something special has happened. When you name a son, Yehuda, which means gratitude, every time you say the word, every time you think his name, every time you talk about it, you're expressing this attribute of gratitude. And I think that Yehuda, gratitude, is not just uh, a, a midah, just not um, an attribute. I think it is a core and essentially Jewish attribute, as you know. And calling him Yehuda, because we are all Yehudim, which means those who are grateful, meant that she was so concerned about expressing her gratitude that she wanted to say it at every possible opportunity. 
And I think that's our lesson from the name of Yehuda. And I wish us a wonderful Shabbat filled with what I call the attitude of gratitude for the abundant blessings.